Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, an internal audit and compliance consulting firm headquartered in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm also a speaker and writer on topics like COSO 2013, SOX 404, quality assessment reviews, internal auditing, and related topics. Today's interview, which I'm really excited about, is with Allison Bolden. Allison Bolden is a VP and Chief Compliance Officer at Chiquita Brands International. Chiquita, for those of you who have been living under a rock, um, is the leading international marketer and distributor of high-quality fresh food products, including Chiquita bananas and fresh express salads, with over 21,000 employees on six different continents. Prior to joining to uh, joining Chiquita, Allison was the Assistant General Counsel of uh, Labor and Compliance for Mead Johnson Nutrition Company, and also served as a VP and General Counsel to Ted Grant Corporation. She is a graduate of the law school at the University of Chicago and Dart. Musk College. Ms. Bolden is past president of the Association of Corporate Counsel in the Chicago chapter and is a fellow of the American Bar Foundation, an author and speaker. As a matter of fact, she will be a presenter at the Compliance and Ethics Institute conference in Chicago, September 14th through the 17th. Her workshop is entitled, Hey, Don't let culture happen to you. Understanding and leveraging your culture for ethics and compliance effectiveness, which you can register for the conference at www.complianceethicsinstitute.org. Welcome, Allison. It's a pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you, Sonia. I'm happy to be here. Well, I know um, we have been uh, hunting you down for quite some time. <laughs> We've been trying to get somebody in the council space to talk about this exact issue. Okay, And one of the things that we were coming up with in terms of what our listeners wanted to know most about was, you know, how does a compliance executive okay, first measure what type of culture okay, that they have, and then how should they align that culture to core business strategies. Certainly. Well, Sonia, this is a key determination. And, you know, the assessment can start as early as the interview process. So for public companies, you might want to take a look at the types of compliance and ethic documents that are posted on the company's website. Uh, Is there corporate governance guidance posted for the board of directors? Is there a code of conduct? If so, what is the tone of that code? Are relevant regulatory developments listed on the website? Is there supplier data? What, is, what does the privacy information look like? All of these things can provide very helpful windows into the company's culture. And of course, once you're on site, you have the benefit of reviewing recent employee surveys, compliance risk reviews, ERM risk reviews. These are all valuable resources. I'm also a very, very strong believer in face-to-face introductory meetings, especially if you're working across several geographies and cultures, uh, because you need to build that rapport. And through building that rapport, you can learn about the business strategies at a deeper level than than what you will receive if you solely read uh, the business strategy documents that the company may have. So it's not just going through what's available, let's say, to the public, but also that face-to-face rapport-building exercise 
and really getting a sense of, okay, here are the words, and these people are also validating those words on different documents that are available, and then hopefully there's some action, obviously, behind those words to align to say, you know what, this is, they mean what they say because I can see that they're doing exactly what they say they're going to be doing. So that's, that's one way of kind of uh, aligning. It seems like that's what you're, you're saying is, is obviously start from the very obvious, which is, okay, mm-hmm. there's plenty of stuff, especially if it's a public company, and I completely agree with you. There's a ton of documents that someone could read. But then it's, it's that human, it's that face-to-face interaction, getting or, or you know, being in touch with those folks in the field or in the operation, so to speak. I mean, is that kind of uh, one of the best practices that you've learned over the years? Absolutely. Especially, again, if you're going across cultures uh, in the U.S., we are pretty open as, as, um, uh, from a cultural perspective. So we are fine with phone calls and social media and email outreach, but depending on where you are in the world, it really helps if you make that live touch or at the very least a personal touch, meaning a personal letter or personal email, something that shows the, the recipient that you are reaching out to meet with them and to better understand them, their business challenges, their day-to-day work, um, and, and how you can help. So yes, I'm, I'm a huge fan of face-to-face live meetings if your budget permits. And you know the, the other uh, item that I called out that I think can be very helpful is recent employee surveys. If those surveys are done anonymously, you'll often get, frankly, very, um, very open uh, feedback from employees, and that can be very valuable as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a good indicator of what, especially when, like you stated earlier, I mean, anonymous, people are, are more open to share um, their true <laughs> they're true words when they really are, are when they know it's anonymous and they know that there's no you know it's hard to find out who exactly said certain things or wrote certain things um which leads me into something that I was recently in, in a, at a conference um this week actually and we were talking about uh emails and then this concept of of mega data okay and I wanted to kind of get your thoughts, uh, just best practice thoughts, okay? What do, you th- what do you think is the most effective way an organization can gather and use data, okay, to predict or, or forecast or to analyze, let's say, compliance risks? Because there's just so much data out there, a number of transactions, emails, all kinds of stuff. I mean, what have you seen as either the best practice or, let's say, a leading trend um, that that works best for large organizations? Sure. Well, I would say taking a look at your historic helpline data can be a great indicator of potential risk. So if you are subject to the SOX guidelines, you're offering a way for employees to call anonymously. We're permitted by local laws to ask questions or raise concerns. Uh, Here we call that process our helpline and that data 
is just um, very, very helpful. You can see whether you're getting patterns, meaning a lot of calls from certain geographies, or if you're getting repeats of issues, and all of that can be very, very helpful. Um, other things that can be very helpful are discussions with your internal business partners. The internal audit group members, for example, tend to be very, very knowledgeable, and they can be very helpful to compliance because they typically have people on the ground. They are very well versed in the company's policies and procedures, and because of their audit work, they are up close and personal, and they see what works and what hasn't worked as well. And what lessons do you think have you've seen in the field where a large organization can extract, you know, the best sets of data? Because what I'm noticing, and this is where where I was kind of coming in with the question, is that we see more JPEG files, we see more, you know, wave files, we see text obviously files, we see number type files. And to do compliance, right, it's mm -hmm. it, you know, a practitioner really needs to get a hold of best of breed practices of how to get that best sets of data. Have you seen any of the field in the anything in the field that you've seen works really really well, or things that it's just mediocre and we haven't got we ha our technology hasn't evolved yet? I'm, I'm, I mean, what's your thought on that? So I think many companies are evolving their technologies, but I suspect that most have not gotten to their endpoint just yet. First of all, depending on where you are in the world, there are privacy restrictions. And so even if you have the technology to call um, your emails and, and call all of the, the files that folks have on their, their shared drives or their, their personal drives, there could be restrictions to the company seeking to do that. Uh, so I, I think what I've typically seen is live interviews, reviews of helpline data, employee surveys, and then review of the actual data that the system has only in specific cases. So if there's an investigation or if we are literally trying to find um, um, instances where certain policies came uh, uh, into, into focus, those would be cases where we would literally be calling the data. But otherwise, I think it can be, it can be a little bit fraught. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um, we're experiencing something similar where our our clients have just a bunch of data, and you're right, there are different laws and regulations in different countries, and therefore you have to be sensitive to those issues. Mm -hmm. um, but but honing in on what matters most and getting a good plan together, I think is pro what we have found one of the best ways of start a good starting point because there is just a ton of data. And it could be sitting in a lot of different places. Right. Um, so it's it's coming up with a formulated plan that a team kind of agrees to, and then executing on that plan. Um, I think technology and, and, isn't. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and Sonia, one thing I think I can add there is, to your point, what I am seeing is that companies are relying more and more on technology solutions for certain functions. And so, for example, uh, job applicants will flow through a certain technology. Procurement will have a technology that takes the procurement functions from start to finish. In our compliance group, you, we will have a helpline that tracks the activity. And so that makes it a little bit easier if you need to understand data data such as, you know, what, what your third-party vendor profile looks like or 
whether you are having spikes in certain types of certain types of helpline claims. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like the word that you said types because we in my audit uh, nerdy world, we call them categorizations, you know, is this a sexual harassment kind of issue? Is this, you know, a, you know, foreign corrupt practices act? I mean, we put them in Auditors love to put things in buckets, so we like to put these quote-unquote types. Um, and I wanted to kind of switch away from a little bit from, from risk to opportunities, okay? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, have you seen any, you know, or let's say like the top three opportunities that in your just in your professional experience you've discovered at an organization, you're like, hey, you know what, that, that was a great eye-opening experience. We, we actually capitalized on something that benefited the company, you follow, that you were mm-hmm. aligning that culture to strategy. I mean, have you seen that in your professional experience? I have. I've seen it uh, where I am currently here at Chiquita, and I've also seen it with other companies um, I've worked with in the past. So I think there are three large buckets that present the biggest opportunities for many companies today. I think the first is data privacy program development, which includes development of data breach protocols. Um, I think that that's a a hot area because um, many companies are now transacting business globally, and in order to do that in a way that provides the most flexibility to the company, it's great if you can do things like obtain um, uh, U.S. Uh, safe harbor data privacy status or or go into the binding resolutions, another means of, of protecting the flow of data across um, across continents. And then, of course, data breach protocols. Data breach has been all over the news. If you're doing marketing, if you're taking consumer information, if, you, if any of your business customers are smaller mom-and-pop stores, um, you could be receiving personal information as part of those those uh, touches. And so, you know, what does your data breach program look like? Do you have a protocol? Do you have a crisis plan? Um, do do the involved folks know exactly what their roles are and, and what uh, they would need to do in the unfortunate uh, uh, event that something occurred? So I think that's a big opportunity area for many companies. Uh, a second area that I think is just really right there for many companies is encouraging employees and third parties to speak up with questions or to, or concerns and you know that includes embracing anti-retaliation. Uh, there are so many whistleblower statutes out there now that actually provide financial incentives to individuals to come uh, to government agencies to air their concerns. And if you are working for a company, well, my goodness, you, you want to know if third parties or employees have those concerns so that you can take immediate responsive action. So I think we, we are all doing all we can to encourage employees and others to speak up. Yeah, and to stress the protections. Yeah, no, I, 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 it's been on the news, um, especially for a major retailer, about their data breach. Um, it was a cyber security attack. But you're right. I mean, it, it's o- only when something terrible happens, then people go, wait, what, what was the policy again? What, what were you supposed to do? It's kind of that emergency kit that you know you had it, right? It's in mm-hmm. the house. It's there, but you forgot what's in it, you know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you don't, that's the la- you don't want an emergency to happen to when you think, oh, now I need to go to that kit. It's the same thing with policies. Employees, 
I, 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 when we audit, anyways, we notice that the onboarding process makes them pretty much find that they've acknowledged and understood everything, okay? Yet the employee manual is about 50 pages, the other, um, other handbooks are another 75 pages, and you're expecting an individual to really digest it, they, you know, like a sponge. Yeah. They've absorbed all of that information. And to your point, the opportunity, I mean, we've training people on the latest policies, especially after they get updated, and understanding mm-hmm. the benefit to the company and to them is a critical opportunity. It, it creates better dialogue, I, I have found in practice. Mm-hmm. Um, employees feel, um, there's, there was a study done with, um, believe it or not, accountants of all people, how they felt when their accounting firm, okay, their accounting firm had uh, not only conservative ethics and policies, but continuous training on that topic, like you can't invest in a company that you're auditing. You're not independent, yes. right? Mm-hmm. They found that the job satisfaction of having an employer like that went up. So there is a correlation to work, not only working for a company um, that has strong ethics, but training and telling them what the benefit is and, and the why factor. Why do we have these policies in place? It's because you know, we want an, evil, uh, an even, even um, playing field. So that way, you know, if you're auditing them, you're, they don't think that you have some hidden agenda by making them pass, let's say, an audit because you have an investment in them. Um, and I wanted to, to kind of get into uh, a, a quick minor 30-second story. I have dinner with one of my professors, um, Glenn Gray, and he's constantly scratching his head about what do employers really want? Okay, and he'll get one answer from one employer, and then I'll get a different answer from a different type of employer, and, and they're in different industries. Okay, so I wanted to ask you, what what do you see? Okay, as skill sets that you think are needed in the compliance space to be, you know, a person that can successfully execute an alignment of culture and strategy. Wow. Okay. That that is really um, the the bottom line question, and uh, you know, I I think compliance is a wonderful space. First of all, it's very fulfilling. It requires great creativity. It requires um, an interest in people. Um, personally, I, I find people to be very interesting. I think that you always get surprises when you're working with other people, and uh, I think that's one of the most inspiring things about compliance work. Um, But in addition, I think it helps to have uh, diplomatic skills, um, EQ, uh, and broad substantive regulatory knowledge. Uh, Because you you do need the substantive regulatory knowledge to, to address situations as they arise and to have that sense of how things may unfold. Uh, because what starts is a simple helpline inquiry um, along the lines of, gee, you know, this is something that my boss said to me, and, you know, I just, I didn't appreciate it, but, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Well, there could be a lot more to that situation. Um, similarly, another, another hot area is development of controls to prevent uh, fraud, corruption, or, or bribery. Um, and, and there have just been updates to the COSA framework, for example. Uh, so someone could say something very simple to you along the lines of, gee, you know, I used to be a second signatory on on these types of financial documents, but, you know, 
I was told that I don't have to do that anymore. Standing alone, that, that comment may be absolutely acceptable, but if you do have that regulatory background, you might know to inquire a little bit more uh, just to confirm that processes and, and protocols are still in place. So I, I think that those skills, the, the diplomacy skills, the uh, broad substantive knowledge are all helpful for compliance. Um, maturity helps too, um, you know, for better or worse. In the compliance space, you're sometimes dealing with difficult situations and you're coming in at um, a place and time when emotions may be high. And so you, you need the ability to, to address the situations, um, discharge your obligations and duties, but also um, not be uh, unduly upsetting uh, to the persons you're interacting with. Yeah, it takes some really core interview skills and, like you stated earlier, diplomacy and kind of being the cooler head in the room. You know, it's it's uh, it, it does take experience. I mean, I, I can tell you when I first uh, joined Arthur Anderson, my interview skills were pathetic. <laughs> I get to, you know, 16-plus years later, it's a different scenario, and it's not yeah. – it, it, I mean, trust me when I said that I've, I've read books and I've understood, and every every year I have certain sets of, of my own personal goals for reading for um, both soft skills and just um, technical skills. So I have two sets, but here's the point. You have to have a lot of practice, and sometimes it, mm-hmm. ta- it does take years to develop. It's not something you can get a graduate and just say, boom, I want you to do this perfectly. Um, it, it does take time to develop those those key skills um, and the diplomacy piece. I really gravitated towards that statement that you mentioned. Um, in our world, we call—I mean, most of our um, audit colleagues call it call it the data is the data is the data, and and we use that in context of don't get mad at me. These are the facts. You know, mm-hmm. we, you know, let's not make this too much of a personal issue. Mm-hmm. It just, it is what it is. You know, now most auditors who are people, pe- people, okay, we want to move on to solution. Okay, where, where yeah. can we move forward on this issue? Because again, the data is the data is the data in our world. So. Now, sure, and it's a great point. And, and by the way, I, I have a feeling that you're just being very humble about the the skills that you were bringing to the table from the very beginning of your career. Um, so I just wanted to add that. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, uh, maybe it's in my nature. It's, it's Latina nature in me. <laughs> kind of downgraded, and then I because I can always move up, Allison. That's that's the whole point. Um, I, and I wanted to get to to your story, Allison, because everyone has a story how they got into this compliance arena. Okay, so could you please share your story? How uh, to our listeners, you know, what drew you to your current compliance position? What was the the big draw factor? Well, um, I am a practicing attorney, and I started off as a commercial litigator. Eventually, I went in-house, and through a series of in-house roles, I was able to expand into areas like data privacy and employment and contract review and antitrust counseling, and I really enjoyed all of those areas, and I found that uh, 
the compliance arena was just to me a great fit because it allowed me to interact with people um, but also to bring to bear the legal skills that I had developed over time and I got to work in some of my favorite areas including data privacy and um, antitrust counseling and employment laws so I just thought it was um, a very very interesting area no two days are ever alike and the former litigator in me likes that um, you know, they say transactional lawyers and litigators have different um, personality types. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to, to settle that debate, but I can tell you that as a former uh, litigator, I love um, pace and change and learning and relearning and um, persuasion. Yeah. Yeah, and it's an interesting journey because people – some, what I have found, some people, when they've gotten into this this space, if you will, the compliance space, they knew right off the bat. And then others, what I'm finding, um, let, let me give you a quick example, Mike Jacka, he actually didn't want to have anything to do with compliance. It was a boss that said, you know, you've got some really good, guess what, people skills. He got some really good problem-solving skills, so he nurtured him over and over and over again, and the boss happened mm-hmm. to be an internal audit. And my point is, is the reason one, of, one of the reasons I like this profession is it, you have to interact with people when you're auditing. Okay? Mm-hmm. People think it's just data only. No, that's just you know, half of the story. The other half, you have to talk to the people, and it does change, and compliance does change. We are in a global economy and therefore a country like India, Germany, etc., where you're doing business or your clients doing business, mm-hmm. again, they're changing their laws. And so it is going to be a, an evolving um, uh, a compliance arena that we're working under. And so for me, it was it's always kind of a nice challenge. It's never going to be the same thing over and over and over again. That's been my mm-hmm. take on on, my, on the profession of just compl- if someone had to just call it the compliance arena, and and the people part of it too is I, I think I think uh, I enjoy most as well. Well, this um, has been a great insightful interview, Allison. I'm really grateful that you're here with us. And as a quick reminder for those of you who are, um, haven't registered yet. Uh, you can see Allison at the conference. Please visit the website, www.complianceethicsinstitute.org. This is Sonia Luna, CEO and, uh, and founder of Aviva Spectrum, signing off. Thank you so much, Sonia. It was a pleasure talking to you. Take care, Allison.